You're listening to We Need to Talk About InfoSec. I'm your host, Laura, and in this show, we get to the bottom of information security. The big question is, how broken is our world, and what can we do to fix it? I have a vision that we can only make this world better by first taking it apart. Let's get started. In this show, we talk a lot about privacy and data that should not be shared with others online. But today, I want to discuss something that is called operational security, or OPSEC for short. This means how and with what means you can try to keep yourself safe when you combine your private life with the internet. I have an expert of OPSEC and a very good friend of mine here today. Welcome, Tomi Tuominen. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's nice that you could come here. Absolutely. So how are you doing? Oh, doing great. It's, once again, busy times, but I, I don't really mind. Well, it's been busy for the past 20 year, 25 years or so, so <laughs> okay. I, I'm not expecting that to change anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you get to sleep when you're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like I said, you get used to it. Yeah. So, Tommy, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um... My name is Tomi Tuominen, also known as T. I've been doing information security related stuff for a quarter of a century. Uh, I My main interests are breaking into computer systems, defending computer systems mm. and doing incident response and forensics. And I've also done some work on electronic voting and breaking common networking protocols yeah. like uh, Windows SMB and SIFS stuff. And uh, now lastly, being involved uh, in hacking physical access control system, mainly hospitality industry locks. Okay. So a lot of uh, hacking related history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been never, I've been never prosecuted. So I think it should be fine. <laughs> yes. So it doesn't. It hasn't hindered your career. No, that is not court. yet. No. <laughs> yeah, and let's hope it stays that way. Yeah. So um, today we're going to talk about operational security or OPSEC for short. So uh, what what do you like? What does the term mean to you personally? Well, uh, I guess operational security actually means different kind of things to different people it's it's pretty loaded term but to me it's a process of safeguarding something mm. so basically you decide what you share with whom that's my definition of an opsec yeah okay so you are very active in the hacking community and and you've done this like from the very beginning you've been part of this uh like hacking culture. So can you tell me like how did you end up doing all this kind of stuff? So I was one of those fortunate people who had early access to dial-ups. So my father used to work for the biggest telco in Finland. And already back in the 80s, I had my first internet connection, which was unheard of at that, that time. And uh, pretty quickly, I got um, in the freaking So the art of dialing through different phone systems and, and getting access to various places. Okay. Uh, 
you 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 were talking about uh, different colored boxing, basically mm-hmm. uh, referring to the fact that you could bypass some of the long distance restrictions and whatnot. Yeah, and also the BBS scene, which was very very strong back in the day. Yeah, that's where where I got my first. Well, initial contact with the hacking culture. Mm. So basically, AT&T, how may I help you? Uh, <laughs> dialing to US, uh, to various BBSs and, and, and so on. Yeah. And then a uh, friend of mine had uh, his box routed back in early, I would say about 89, 90, around those times. Mm. And everybody else was like, oh my God, this is horrible. And I was like, that is so cool. I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> and uh, basically did the forensics for that box, which was which was at that time was not really that difficult if you knew something about POSIX compliant mm. operating systems. And then I started reading everything I, I was able to find. I went through, I learned that there is this kind of thing called RFC, mm-hmm. so Request for Comments, which basically standardized all the protocols used on the internet yeah. and learned how to fake email and, and news groups posts and, and basically got acquainted with protocols and how they work. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a long time and back in the days this probably was not that like there was no concept of like white hat hacking and uh, penetration not, testing so not really at that time there was a concept of police <laughs> and uh, being prosecuted if you get caught yes but you never got into any trouble <laughs> absolutely no I, i've always been good enough Because you've been part of this kind of like offensive uh, scene for a long time, you know kind of the tricks out there to get into people's data and and how to like uh, what kind of stuff goes out there. So today we're gonna discuss operational security or OPSEC, which is a term that we as professionals use a lot when we refer to how we do things securely uh, when we work and without revealing too much information about that. So how did you get into that sort of thing? Like started to get interested in OPSEC? Um, it's kind of funny uh, because all us old school farts that started back in the day uh, didn't really think up, think that much about it. But um, the turning point for me was when there was um, this, um, uh, how would I call it? Uh, call it like uh, there there is a concept of hacks and hackers mm. it's basically an event run by journalists and hackers so hacks being being journalists and hackers being well hackers mm. and i saw one guy there presenting that how you should protect yourself mm. and it was so horrible it, okay. it was absolute garbage that i uh, i i Couldn't really watch it, and I, I was like, okay, I, I can do better. Yeah. I, I can even blindfold it. I could, I can tell people how to protect themselves mm-hmm. better than that guy. Mm. And that's basically when I started kind of formalizing it, or or spending more time with it, and also teaching journalists how to protect themselves. 
Yeah, and that's that's quite dangerous if you're teaching someone wrong methods of how exactly. to protect that, themselves. Exactly, that was my point. So, but if if you're doing journalism on a countries like Egypt or or Syria or yeah, exactly. So you might end up uh, being sent out on uh, small plastic bags. Yeah. So your f- initial touch with like. Uh, training OPSEC was with journalists then? Yeah, the, I I reala- pretty quickly realized that this is something that I've been doing for a, quite some time, mm. but uh, at, at least at that time, which was early 2000 or so, there, were, there wasn't any trainings or proper material available how to do it properly. And mm. there is also a lot of misconceptions. Like people tell you to use Signal, use Tor, which is a kind of a meme nowadays. Mm. And most people who say that, they don't even understand how Tor works. Yeah. I actually strongly recommend against using Tor. Yeah. And for, for a good reason. But And if, what is what is that reason? That's actually a long discussion. But the biggest biggest point being that you are essentially routing your traffic through three at least three different boxes where the last one is uh, it's called an exit node mm. and you have no control over that exit node meaning that effectively anybody who runs an exit node can do man in the middle attack or mm. gender gender neutral uh in the middle attack uh, <laughs> Person against in you. The middle. <laughs> yeah so uh, effectively changing or altering your your network traffic mm. and hasn't like fbi or you know these kind of agencies done that as well or they're doing that there there is also that's that's another reason if you are uh, basically even if you're not yourself a high profile target mm. you might become one accidentally because those guys are after some really bad people so they might end up unmasking your traffic as well in the process of doing so and and it's not a secret that three-letter agencies and other people are actively looking vulnerabilities on tour Mm. and there has been a bunch of them fixed back in the like during the past five years or so yeah so instead of using tour maybe use VPN or what is the like go-to tooling that you would recommend for, for example, journalists? It really depends on your threat model and where you are. So guys like me, we are always talking about threat model. Mm-hmm. And and that's basically the a throw around term for for knowing what you're protecting against what and for how long. Mm-hmm. That's what most people mean when they're talking about threat model. There is also a concept of attack surface, which means that how much of you is being exposed at any given time. Mm. But uh, for most of us, VPN is a much better solution because you have control over the traffic um, and also you get to watch Netflix for free. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of only win-win-win situation. Yes. <laughs> So you were talking about threat modeling and uh, attack surface that are like very common terms that we use when we do assessments for like infrastructure or for systems. True. So how would you like personally define like how how would you go about like what would be the tips how to define your well threat model for example for beginning? I 
first of all, it's important to understand that the information that you're trying to protect. So OPSEC is all about defining what you share with whom. Mm -hmm. So it has to be an active decision. Uh, one thing that you you have to understand first is that information basically has two states. So somebody sends you an email versus that email lands in your inbox and it's stored there. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand which is which, you end up uh, doing wrong things. So basically you're trying to protect the information during the transit or when it's dormant, lying somewhere, being yeah. stored. And uh, the most relevant questions for threat modeling is basically three questions. Asset, so what, what you're trying to protect. Threat, against what? And the life cycle for how long, mm. especially if you're a journalist. I, I mean, I don't want to go too deeply about being a journalist, but uh, life cycle or the duration of, of information that you need to protect is a crucial one. Because especially when, when you're dealing with journalism, once the story is public, it's common knowledge. It's, mm. You don't have to protect it anymore, but you still need to protect your sources. Mm. So there has to be a difference between techniques that and and tools, tactics, and procedures that you're using. Yeah. Uh, when when defining your own posture. Yeah. Do you feel that this kind of like threat modeling is applicable for everyone out there? Absolutely. It's it's really as simple as asking yourself those three questions. Mm. As a, as a bonus question, you you can ask yourself that what if this information leaks. Mm. What if it cannot be trusted or it's unavailable? So basically you're dealing with confidentiality, integrity and availability. And it's always good to have a backup plan if that happens. Yeah. yeah I want to talk about the attack surface in a second. But how, let's say if you have never, like you use internet regularly, but you don't understand the underlying uh, technicalities and, and how stuff works, Do you see that there could be a still a way to understand how to protect yourself? Because we were talking about the misconception of using Tor versus VPN, for example. So how how should a like a normal person, so to say, know what to do, and like how how should they define like what what is valuable uh, about me or my data? Um, there is a conception on software engineering uh, called pattern. And, and, and anti-pattern. And the whole idea behind patterns and anti-patterns is that you don't have to understand the topic deeply, but you can follow these kind of best practices mm. for making sure that you're actually doing some sensible things. Yeah. Uh, with OPSEC, uh, like Grok uh, always puts it, expecting the tools to provide security for you is like buying a set of weights and then sitting around waiting for your fitness to improve. <laughs> so it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. So you have to understand enough so that you can end up doing sensible life decisions. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to be an expert yeah. on this. It, by using common sense, you you go a long way. Yeah. I'll give you a practical example. So mm -hmm. if you you have decided that personally... It's crucial for you that nobody get, gets access to your online banking. Mm. It's a good decision to use two separate browsers and configure your local firewall so 
that that the second browser that you only you you only use that for online banking will only allow traffic to that specific domain. That would be a really ghetto solution, but mm. it would work. Yeah. And also maybe never post a picture of your credit card or bank because that is like sometimes you see those and that's that, I, I personally I would think that that's super obvious that please never do that. I, I guess you you could easily quote Einstein here mm-hmm. who said that there are only two things that are infinite: the universe and human stupidity. And he's not <laughs> sure about the, the universe, so. <laughs> Yeah. So you were talking about the uh, attack surface. So what would be an attack surface for a person? Um, maybe a good way to approach that question would be to think yourself as an attack surface. So all the gadgets that you're carrying with you, they expose more attack surface. And as an attacker, the more access, more physical access you have, usually the better. So if you can, as a defender, if you can minimize that, let's say that you have your phone and your laptop and and so on, basically the place where your critical information resides, Mm. if you can minimize access to those, Mm. you're already winning. An example of this would be that you, you check into your hotel room You don't leave your laptop to the hotel room, but instead you carry it with you. Now, I have to be pretty careful with this because one of the issues I stumbled when I started looking into this mm. is that many of the people who are talking about OPSEC, yeah. they are outright lunatics. <laughs> they really don't understand the problem or the fix. Yeah, And it's 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 like trying to find sensible advice on prepping. So how to prepare uh, your home for for a electric break or something like that? <laughs> you only get those like in a case of zombie ap- apocalypse, you need to prepare yourself like this. And when it comes to opsec, yeah, that's very often the kind of advice that you get. Mm-hmm. You should be doing this and that and that, and it's not practical. Yeah, uh, you have to be very very pragmatic when it comes to opsec because most of the stuff you need to repeat over and over. And that's essentially, it means that it's boring. Mm. And some of the stuff you have to pretty much do differently every time, mm. which means that it's difficult. Yeah. And time is always against you. So this is not something that works afterwards. You You, you cannot eat crappy food for the day and then at the end of the day, take th- that pill and now I'm fine again. It doesn't work <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah, so you need to be uh, constantly improving and keeping your systems updated, so to speak. Yeah, it's I, it's, it's a process. It's yeah. it's really a process. So the the problem or or the reason why most of us are concentrating on gadgets is that that's where the information is nowadays. Mm. So if if we go if we were to go back twenty years. Uh, some of us would already have cell phones, but those would not be that critical. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you have everything. Basically, if I can get access to your phone, I pretty much know too much about your life. Yeah, And that's why those gadgets are now super important when it comes to OPSEC. Yeah. And I actually, when I'm when I'm teaching about OPSEC, I always 
tell people that you shouldn't be storing information on on paper. Mm. And the reason is that you will never know if somebody has read that paper. Mm. And that's where the gadgets are actually better. You can you can have more visibility to your own operational uh, security posture. Yeah. So you're talking a lot about gadgets. So if I take, for example, I have phones and I have iPads and those physical gadgets. So would you say that these, for example, if I lost them somewhere or someone mugged me, would that be like, is that the, that like what what, what what's the worst that could happen in that case? Or is there like a scene for people who <laughs> mug you and then they try to get to your data? I don't know if there is a scene for that, but there is a definitely scene for account takeovers. So essentially, if you're on iOS ecosystem, so Apple ecosystem, or or you're on Android ecosystem, it usually boils down to your uh, credentials. So you have either a Google account or you have an Apple ID. Mm. And there are simply too many ways that those accounts can be taken over. And if if people can get access to that, they can most probably even make a backup. Well, not most probably, they can make a backup copy of your device mm. and then analyze that and get access to all the information that they want. Yeah, and personally speaking, if someone got access to my my email accounts that are the ones where I <laughs> safeguard all the other accounts, for example, that could spell an end for my Twitter and my Instagram and all my social media, for example. It's actually worse than that. Mm. So just by getting access to your cell phone number is enough to take over like 99% of your online presence. Mm. And there has been pretty high profile cases about SIM swapping, Mm. which is, it's been rampant in US. Uh, the the sim swapping attack is basically a one where you go to to the competing provider and tell that hey I want to switch carriers to this mm. one, and then you take over th- that identity. And once you have access to that, you can do account resets, which usually send those reset tokens as an SMS messages or text messages to your phone, and then you can take over from there. And once you have access. The, to your main email, many of us are using Gmail or or some other common email providers. Then it's kind of game over. Yes. So that means that someone would impersonate another person going there to the uh, telco provider and and selling that they want a new SIM card. No, unfortunately, that's not even needed because those. Telco systems were designed uh, back in the day when dinosaurs were still a thing. <laughs> so uh, they were not exactly designed uh, with security in mind. Yeah. And even nowadays, those carriers, they have backend systems that mm. handle the SIM swapping scenarios or roaming scenarios. I mean, that SIM, SIM swapping thing is not the only way how you can do account takeovers. You can yeah. do uh, various roaming attacks. Um, you can do tricks with SS7, which is the signaling protocol behind the scenes, uh, and and so on. So, so it's really, really difficult 
to protect yourself against those if somebody knows your phone number. Mm. Uh, so no, there is no physical presence to any of those places is not required. Yeah, and when we think about, for example, phone number, it was never intended to be a mechanism for authentication, but now there are these like multi-factor authentication and for, I think to Twitter, for example, you can register with only your uh, telephone number or your phone number. So like there was this system in place and then suddenly it started like this was taken to be some other use case like for added this authentication layer to it. I'm old enough to remember the time when not each and every account uh, or every service required a phone number to register. Mm. And the reason why people went for that was advertising. Yeah. They wanted to be able to connect your online persona to your real-world cell phone number. Yeah. And that's why we have that madness going on at the moment. Yeah. It was never... They they never intended that to be a security feature or anything like that. And that's, it's kind of ironic that we went that way. Yeah. Uh, because it's basically made it worse for everybody. Mm. So are there, like, it comes to my mind that, for example, social security numbers are sometimes used in a similar manner that they are being used as a method of authentication. That's actually a perfect comparison. So... At least here in Finland, uh, the law says that uh, your social security number is not a piece of sec- or a secret piece of information, mm. and yet it's treated as one. Mm. And once you have that, you're in trouble because there is this discrepancy between how the law sees that and how it's being used. Mm. And social security numbers here are very, very predictable. Yeah. So. If I just know your birthday, which is not a secret mm-hmm. uh, piece of information, I can easily calculate your your social security number mm. and then verify that against various online services and steal your identity. Yeah. That's actually something that I've done. Yes. Not for you, but... Yeah, I was for, like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> When you compare like phone numbers and social security numbers, phone numbers are people maybe don't share that that openly but their birth dates they share for example in facebook or social media people send them like hey happy birthday and like even like not explicitly sharing but through this kind of information it's so easy to get into that kind of data and after that you only need the four digits or four uh, three digits and one letter in finland basically two and a half yeah because the last one is a checksum yeah and then there is the the There is a, a marker that identifies whether you were born in the 18th century or sixth or nineteenth or twenty-one century and, and so on. Yeah. Um and then basically why I said that two and a half is because if you're a male or a female, that mm. actually defines uh, whether it's uh odd or even number. Yeah. And it's impossible to even Uh, well, not impossible. You need to have some like a really good reason for changing your social security number, but it's not like your password that you could just recycle or just. It, it seems that it's actually super difficult. Mm. Have you tried? Yes. And it didn't work. No, because I, I figured that uh, changing your gender would be a bit too much for them. <laughs> oh well. What is the? Because you. 
seem to have a lot of like firsthand knowledge of these kind of things. So have you encountered any uh, any situation or any anywhere where this kind of using this kind of kind of public information but not public information that it has been used against someone so let's say that the OPSEC has failed in this case many times and very often I've been the guy who's been like I mentioned in the beginning um, I've been doing a lot of incident response during my career if you could call it that but um, so these things do happen Mm. but Uh, the th- the problem is that, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but they don't get publicized. Mm. And that might actually be a um, bit of a problematic thing because people, especially in Finland, are a bit naive that how much damage you can do just by stealing someone's identity. Yeah. Why don't these get publicized? I've been thinking about it. Very often those people, they are high profile or high net worth individuals. And those people, they tend to appreciate their own privacy quite a lot. Mm. So they don't want to get in this kind of media storm. Okay. So you were saying like stealing someone's identity, for example. So like what's the... If someone really wanted to, you know, just to hurt you, what what could they do? Like, in in that's theory, a, that's a brilliant question that I'm not going to answer. I don't yeah. want to give guidelines to people so that they could hurt other innocent people. Mm. Uh, the The problem currently is that there is no easy way to protect yourself fully. Mm. So if somebody goes that way that they actually actively try to steal someone's identity. There is nothing that can actually stop that. Yeah. But there are some things that you can at least try to to do to mitigate these. Absolutely. Things. So I there are multiple techniques um, that you can use. Uh, one of them being that you can register there is a There is a service that allows you uh, to get an alert if somebody is doing a credit check on you, mm. and that's a a super good service. You you end up paying something like twenty five euros a, a year, and once uh, there is a credit check check done on you, mm. you will get an immediate notification about that. Yeah, and that's super useful because you get a forewarning that somebody is actually actively targeting you or trying to see if they can steal money from you yeah. or or do some other other things. Even if if they just want to see that if your credit is valid, mm. you will get an alert. Also, um, you can register Google AdWords uh, with your chosen keywords, mm. and if somebody Google's your name plus some other words that you want mm. want to know, you will get an alert that somebody is actually doing OSINT against you. Yeah. So you can get from just if someone is Googling you. Yes. Because really? you, you register a Google AdWord. Mm. So it's it's um, a system where uh, basically the idea that the original use case for that service is that you can advertise your own service. Mm. But 
it doesn't stop you from registering any words mm. for there. So you can register your own phrases that you want to be aware of yeah. that are being used. Yeah. And you will get an immediate alert if somebody uses those phrases to mm. Google you. That's interesting because I knew that the Google has a feature that you can use keywords and if they anything with that keywords gets indexed in Google, it will notify you. That's Google alerts. Okay. That's a different thing, which okay, is also yeah. super powerful, but the use case is different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's handy. I think I'll just start to use that <laughs> as well. So is there anything else? So then, of course, hardening hardening your online banking presence. Um, and by online banking presence, I mean all your accounts. If your bank is a good one, you can go and add additional features to your bank accounts. So that, for example, one of the fraud uh, cases or fraud categories, mm. to be more precise... Uh, that went recently, like it was kind of an outbreak a few years ago, was that people would walk into a bank mm. with a forged paper saying that they are entitled to do drawings, uh, withdrawals from the bank. Yeah. And of course, they just wrote that paper themselves, but because the processes were not in place, mm. people could steal money from other people's accounts. Yeah. And And you can protect your accounts against that, but you need to be aware of this. So you need to go to your bank and tell that, okay, from this account, you're not allowed to do any withdrawals with that piece of paper. Mm. And there are some other attributes that contribute that as well. Yeah. So you can set different constraints to your, your accounts. Yeah. Also, it's a good idea to separate your bank accounts so that there is an account that is used for paying things And then there is an account that is being used uh, to to get money in. Yeah. So what about should you like also maybe consider using different banks as well or like to mitigate or to spread out the uh, I don't your money? see any additional benefit of doing that. I'm very much uh, pro-usability. Mm. So if it's too complicated, you don't do it. Yeah. So there is a fine balance. You could think of it as a line. Mm. On the other end, there is total OPSEC. And on the other end, there is total usability. Yeah. You have to define where you actually, where is your sweet spot. Yeah. Uh, so you you can go full tinfoil or, <laughs> or actually have something usable. Yeah. And maybe also if you try to force yourself too much towards the OPSEC side and everything is too complicated, you are also lowering your security by then doing some mistakes or reusing passwords or stuff like that. It's not only that. A uh, significant part of OPSEC cost is efficiency. Mm. And if it's not usable, it, it, it's like... Every January, the gyms are full of people who are making different kind of life choices yeah. at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And after one month, it's empty again <laughs> because people get frustrated. They, I, I don't want to do this. Mm. And the same rules apply to OPSEC. Don't change too much, too quickly. Do things that you actually feel comfortable with. Yeah. And... This is not a binary operation. I mean, it's it's mm. not like it's either good or bad. Yeah, often or on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's more like 
if doing something is better than doing nothing. Mm, absolutely. You've been talking about this like uh, reactive or lunatics and tinfoils and, and going too far uh, with OPSEC and, and where is the fine line. So I think this whole, because this is quite a scary topic if if I'm completely honest with you, like thinking about someone stealing someone's identity and there is not much anything you can do about it. So I think that's also a reason why there is so much concern and so much like this uh also like maybe misconceptions or what what are the things you should or should not do so how do you see like what's the best way of moving forward from here and how to at least try to make things slightly better for most of us i'd say that the security hygiene is the most important part Get a proper password manager, generate your passwords, don't reuse them, do the same for your security questions, enable multi-factor authentication for for all your critical accounts and put those into your proper password manager. Mm. That already alone takes you a long way. Yeah. Then if you want to add more layers on that, on, on top of that, make sure that all your stuff is up to date. Uh, the attacks never get worse; they only get better. Mm. So you really, really want to run the latest version of of whatever you're running. Yeah, uh, I'm personally a big fan of Apple ecosystem, not because of Steve Jobs, but uh, <laughs> because those those products are actually the best one best ones commercially available for normal human beings. Mm. Uh, meaning that. My, my definition for a good product security wise is that it has it's easily accessible so you can go pretty what pretty much anywhere in the world and buy one mm. it has good usability to, to quote dave Eitel, that there shouldn't be pixels on your screen that you're not allowed to click mm. uh, it's hardware encrypted and it has a very strong ecosystem yeah so i Honestly, I don't understand people who are using the products from the biggest advertising agency in the world, mm. meaning Google. Mm. So it's not... Apple makes their money by selling hardware devices and software and services on top of that. Google is making money because they are selling the information about you. Mm. If you put it that way, your threat model looks very, very different. Yeah. And, and iOS is a super good choice so an iphone or any i device is a super good choice mm. because an exploit chain against that uh, costs about two to three million euros and mm. it's difficult to do yeah so not everybody is able to do or produce their own jailbreaks yeah yeah and uh, and if you have a realistic approach to this You understand that Apple is not doing this because they want you to be secure. They are doing this because they have a monetary incentive to protect their own business. Mm. But at this time or, or in this given context, it just means that you're better off with your your device or your iDevice than an Android one. And now most probably I'm going to get tons of hate mail from <laughs> Android zealots. But... 
I mean, it's a nice toy, yeah. but I wouldn't use it to protect my own personal stuff. It's as mm. simple as that. Yeah. Then, of course, the next step would be uh, protecting protecting your uh, your network traffic. So, like we already discussed, a mm. proper always on VPN is a good solution. Yeah. Preferably one that allows you to choose different endpoints where you pop out. Yeah. So um, sometimes it might be beneficial that you're surfing. Uh, your your exit node or so is is in US or sometimes it's in Sweden and and so on. It you also get a different view to internet if you're doing that. Yeah, that's what you can do personally, and that's to all the listeners out there who care about their opsec. But how do you feel about the the service providers? Is there like something that needs to be fundamentally also changed? in the landscape as a whole like because we were talking about for example the cell phones uh, or the phone numbers and do you think that phone numbers will be uh, to the end of time used as a method of, of authentication or is there going to be some uh, improvement or some added layer of security added in there at some point as long as There is a strong upside for service providers to have your cell phone number. It's mm-hmm. not not gonna go away. Yeah. But eventually, it might be that the privacy aspects will be so much valued that the importance will diminish a bit. Yeah. But it's really hard to say. Yeah. Uh, currently, I'd say that life is pretty much impossible without a cell phone number. Mm. This is one of those usability versus security things yeah. that you just have to kind of accept the risk and do whatever you can to protect yourself. Mm. Like a primary example of this would be to actually have a solid pin on your SIM card. Yeah. Because if somebody once again steals your phone and you have one of those most common pin codes on your well first of all it very often we see the the kind of configurations where you don't have pin codes at all on mm-hmm. your sim card because people think that that's oh that's some technology from 80s i don't really <laughs> care about that mm-hmm. but even if you have very often it's either one two three four or zero 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 or nine 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 and those are the most common pins yeah and if i can steal your phone and I can access your SIM card. I can just put it to my own phone and once again reset all your online accounts and steal your online ide- online identity. Yeah. And that's not far-fetched. Mm. I mean, just having your phone taken away from you for a few minutes will effectively mean that somebody can steal all your online accounts Yeah. or personas. Okay, I'm just going to put my phone back here and <laughs> it's perfectly safe <laughs> all right we are at the or coming to the end of this episode so i would like to ask you one last pop quiz are you ready sure can you tell me one of your go-to tricks to ensure your own obsec like one thing that you do that maybe slightly even uh slightly extra <laughs> this is always a bad idea uh, because <laughs> OPSEC is one of those things that if you advertise everybody how you do things mm. 
it stops being useful. It's like attackers, uh, they are trying to protect their techniques or magicians, they are trying to protect their techniques because once the cat is out, you can't put it back in. Mm. Um, maybe one of those things uh, that I mentioned earlier, the fact that you're using two browsers for different things. So you're, you're segregating the actions that you're doing online mm. is maybe the best one. Yeah. I would actually go as far as recommend Google Chrome as your primary browser and then some other browser for the more sensitive stuff. Mm. Google Chrome, because it's currently the most secure browser there because of its design. Yeah. And then the other services that you hopefully trust a bit more yeah. can be used with some other browser. Yeah. That's... I, I could say something else, but I'm not gonna. But that is, I think that summarizes the OPSEC part of things quite well when you said that I could tell you something, but that would be an OPSEC fail on my part. <laughs> that, that's unfortunately, that's very, very true. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very happy to talk about these things on this level, but going into more detail is actually, it's going to be hurtful. Yeah. Let's not hurt you or anyone. But thank you for coming here. Thank team. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our episode. So do you have any tips for how to protect yourself online? You can find us on Twitter at TalkAboutSec. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Bye.